Support the podcast by buying a copy of The Force of Destiny by Eric Kent Edstrom. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Apple, anywhere ebooks are sold. Also available in paperback. Thank you so much for following along on this adventure, my labor of love, reading to you, reading to you, Starside Saga, which is an epic fantasy that uh, I dreamed of writing when I was very young. Chapter 22 the fire that will claim the world. Dun Portchalon sat on the narrow cot, hands folded in his lap. His long gray beard gave the impression of great wisdom, but Flay saw it for what it was, merely the accumulation of time and a habit of neglecting one's appearance to cultivate a look of piety. Portchalon was indeed pious and loyal, but also timid. Had he not possessed a great knowledge of the Mercus, though somewhat weak in the power himself, he would have long ago been assigned to some distant countryside abbey on the continent, where he would have lived out a boring life conducting weddings and funerals for unwashed bumpkins. Do you understand the question? Flay asked. He occupied the only chair in the room. Portulan had fine quarters higher up the tower, but he spent most nights here near the champion, should trouble arise. I understand, but highest, you should— He hesitated, then said softly, Should you fail to establish the tap, the champion will destroy you. I'm not confident a quelling could subsequently be put in place. The champion would then be free to— The old man shivered and offered a prayer to Till to ward off such an eventuality. Patience wearing thin, Flay stood, forcing the man to follow suit out of respect for Flay's station. Do you think me a total lackwit, Dunportchalin? Before the man could do more than splutter a denial, Flay continued, I would never put myself or this tower in such danger, not without precautions in place. Precautions? I'm afraid this old man doesn't follow your meaning. I mean to use a Mercus relic, of course. More specifically, the sink gem. The old man's face reddened with shock. But such is forbidden by the Theb. Let not the godfire be squandered, for once it is spent, the Marcusine shall go dark for every age to follow. He was correct about the quote, but that didn't concern Flay. Like most passages in the Theb, it was open to interpretation and scholars much wiser than kindly Portulan had theorized that godfire didn't mean Mercus, but rather the power of the gods, a separate power entirely, as water was separate from light. The godfire could not be squandered through the sink gem, in Flay's opinion, because it wasn't godfire that he or the champion wielded. Will you accompany me to the vault or no? he said. Obedience was ingrained in Dun Portulan. He'd lived a long life following commands regardless of his opinions about them. This was no different, though he became a bit cooler in his manner. They went to the vault, a small door mounted into the bedrock of the cellar foundation. Dunportulan opened it through his own Mercus efforts. The door swung open on well-greased hinges. The entirety of the Way's collection of Mercusine artifacts resided in the chamber within. Or... That was its intent. In truth, 
Many of the hellers and stones and common casters were dispersed among the don'smasters of the many realms, and an unknown quantity had simply never been returned to the Way of Till following the signing of the Synod Treaty. Flay stepped inside the chilly chamber, bringing forth a flare of murkus light to see the items arrayed upon the shelves. He had studied them all since rising to his office, spending hours exploring their capabilities and considering how they might be best employed in the surface of the One God. The answer had been discouraging. There was a reason these relics had not been put into use. They were too dangerous for the Merculin who dared wield them, and a few had not shown what their function was at all. All of them had been crafted by the first race, the builders who had come before man, and who, drawing the ire of the one god, were driven from the lands of the world. But a few items did have obvious purposes. One was a crystal sword. When granted a Merculin's power, it would encompass the wielder in a sphere of power impenetrable by any weapon. Alas, it had burned the Mercus spark right out of every Donesmaster who had tried it. Every one of them had gone on to die within a ten-day. An ornate lantern sat on a shelf alone. It was dark. A Merculin who attempted to light it would produce from it a beacon so bright it would sear the sight from any who looked at it. The light illuminated clouds in the sky and, if placed on a high hill, shed daylight upon the surrounding countryside. But once a Merculin began powering the relic, he could never stop. A quelling team was required to sever the connection, and thus the lantern's usefulness was low. A shelf held three wands, each set end up on a special made wooden stand. Wands were relatively common. All but a rare few had a single purpose to cast light. Any person could use one, spark or no. But the ones here had unknown powers and no Donesmaster in three hundred years had the courage to study them since Dunn's swear was found dead holding two of them. He had been sitting at a desk chair, apparently probing the wands with his murkus powers. He had left one note. Nozzle. Brass? No one knew what the term nozzle meant. The wands had been placed in the vault, and not even Flay had touched one since. And then there was the sink gem, a spherical stone of glass. Its yellow depths were full of tiny bubbles. In size and texture, it was like a tap gem, a reservoir of Mercus power any Merculin could draw from to increase the strength of his feats. Unlike a tap gem, the sink gem absorbed power. Not in the aggressive and deadly way the crystal sword did. It had been found and cataloged by relic scholar Hij Mona who wrote, A Mercus sink into which an infinity of power might be poured, never to be felt again. Flay took the sink gem from its stand and hefted it. The cold surface would not warm, no matter how long he held it. The weight belied the notion it was made of glass, for a ball of lead this size would weigh as much. But in his coming experiment with Dunipples, the gem might be his only protection from complete annihilation. How long until the next change of quelling teams? It will happen directly should you command it. I do so command it. Flay went straight to the arena where the champion lay in chains. 
he hefted the sink gem and studied the man, calming his own mind to better feel the mercusine bolts flowing through the room. The queller captain received the mercus from the taps, who sat dumbly in their chairs, doing nothing else. To accept and use such power didn't require exceptional reservoirs in oneself, but it did require the ability to use it. A vast lake could only drain through a canal so quickly before overspilling the banks and destroying the countryside. But provide a deep canyon, and the same lake could drain as quickly as the force of nature allowed. And so it was with a quelling captain. Flay's own capacity to channel power was considerable, though his spark was average. But he was not certain what would happen when he attempted to force a tap upon the champion. Therefore, he had the sink gem prepared to receive any excess. It would be a tricky feat in itself, but he was confident in his ability. First, he wanted a fresh quelling team in place, for should things go poorly, he needed them prepared to jump in and stop the champion's flows. Don Portchalon came in at that moment, a weary-faced group trailing in after him, looking like they'd just been pulled from their beds. Upon seeing Highest Flay, their demeanor changed, spines straightening, chins lifting. He extended a hand, and each man kneeled to kiss his ring. He offered a vague blessing, pressing a hand to their heads and shunting a charge of Mercus into their minds. A little trick he had learned as a novitiate long ago, the effect was a mild but noticeable brightening of mood. It never failed to spark a look of reverence in a man's eyes. What it did to his favored was a bit more interesting. "'Take your posts,' Dun Portchalin said. A middle-aged donesmaster called Dun D. took the captain chair. He was a smart man, obedient and rather invisible. He would make a good highest for a holdfast or small city-state on the continent one day. Flay whispered his intentions to the man, who nodded in understanding. He betrayed no alarm at the proposal, but merely signaled that he had taken over the quelling from the previous captain. One by one, the fresh source taps took their chairs. Don Portchalin shooed the retiring team away, though they lagged, curious to see what their highest was up to. The champion took note of none of this as he strained and groaned against his chains. His head lashed side to side, spittle flying. The chain binding his right hand was shiny and new, freshly replaced following the tantrum that had killed a novitiate. Flay took a seat in the chair a novitiate brought to him. Bending over the sink gem, he began to trickle power into it. Easy. This flow had to be established before daring to tap the champion's power. He sat this way for several minutes, allowing his heart to calm, his breathing to steady. Feeling the champion's murkus spark upon the subtle realm was simple, for he thrummed there so strongly. The source taps of the quelling team were there, too, like the faint stars outshined by a full moon. Dundee funneled a thin bolt of mercus, composed of several senses, at the champion. This was the quelling. Had the champion not been under the thrall of the witch's medicine when he arrived at the tower, they would certainly all be dead now. Only the man's confusion and lack of wits had protected them long enough to get the quelling in place. 
Flay was thankful he had heeded Acolyte Henley's warnings on that front, for Seeker Yan had dismissed the warning outright. Eples had not been so powerful then, and the quelling had been easier. It had required only two source taps and a master to quell him then. Now there were four taps and a captain, and they were beginning to struggle. Flay reached toward the champion, threading his bolts around the quelling flow. This wasn't a delicate effort, truly, but caution would never be regretted. The quelling encircled the mind in the same way a force tap would. Dundee would drop the quelling in the exact moment Flay slammed his tap into place. The effect would be the same. The champion would be unable to use his power. The difference was that his power would be accessible to Flay rather than merely blocked. Are you prepared, D? I am. Now! Flay slammed the force tap bolts into place and the mercosine web shuddered. He had only a moment to react, shunting the champion's excess power into the sink gym. Eyes closed, he bent every bit of his senses to the new awareness that sprung up in his mind. The Mercus spark didn't feel like anything at all when one was untrained. And then, in time, it arrived as a buzzing feeling, a slight dizziness, accompanied by the heightened sensitivity to sounds, sights, and smells. All the senses became enlivened to the newly awakened Merculin. A dangerous time in their development, but also an exhilarating one. Flay had long ago mastered the feeling, and like most Don'ts Masters, had developed the ability to numb the senses so that everyday life wouldn't be unbearable. But with the champion's spark added to his, the inrush of sensation nearly overwhelmed him. No wonder the man appeared so tortured. The stink of the men in the room and of the champion himself made Flay gag. He formed negation bolts, but that had never been a great skill of his. Getting the balance of mercosine flow just right was difficult while overwhelmed with senses he could not manage to completely deaden. The champion was so powerful, Flay hissed. He felt he had touched a hot cookpan and was unable to remove his hand from it. He increased the flow into the sink gym, relieving the overload until he could finally breathe easier. Behind him, Don Porcelain was praying and pleading for Till to protect him. Not all of them, just himself. So, danger revealed the man's true character. Flay took mental note. The channel to the sink gem was not going to work until he could get the champion to send his excess directly to it. That required some interesting tricks, but since Flay controlled the Mercus, he got the bolts established. He was sweating now, the droplets stinging his eyes. And now he was full to bursting with power but not so much he couldn't manage it. What should he do to experiment? The answer came to him instantly. He felt for the acolyte who had brought his chair, a young Iopsy man called Nopil. He slammed the boy with a will shift and to his shock actually felt the boy's limbs as his own. Incredible. He walked the lad about, circling the champion, ducking to pass beneath the binding chains when necessary. He turned the boy about, had him dance a jig, and then opened his mouth and spoke, I control him! But the will shift consumed only a tiny fraction of the available power. 
so he reached for one of the Queller team source taps who was gaping at him. He clamped the man's mouth shut, stood him up, had him climb onto the chair and stand on one leg. One by one, he did the same with the remaining four source taps. He was tempted to add Dunportulan and Dundee to his little collection of puppets, but such an indignity was uncalled for, especially if he wanted to retain their loyalty. He still had excess power to play with. He created light. He manifested ringing bells. He cooled the chamber until his breath frosted into the air and the Donesmasters shivered and rubbed their elbows. Only then did he notice that the champion had quieted. Opening his eyes, Flay studied the man, all while keeping the acolyte pacing around the room. The madman still pulled at his chains, but his jaw had relaxed and his lips had gone slack. He looked about, confused by his situation, as if a moment of lucidity had slipped over his eyes. He locked his gaze with Flay's. She is here. She hides herself, but I know she's here. Who is here, champion? The girl who burned them all. The girl who will burn the world. Dem Kisk. The words were forceful, but not screamed. Just the torn-throated rasp of a man of total conviction. Flay could do nothing to still the gooseflesh that crawled over his skin at these utterances. How do you know she is Dimkisk? He told me. He told me. He? Who? Till, the father of all mankind. Till, his face appeared before me, above the lake of the cavern. He said unto me, you will know Dim Kisk by the flames, by the charred bone, by the ash. And I knew I had witnessed the first spark of the fire that will claim the world. She must die, lest we all perish. The first line of the prophecy. Had the man truly seen the face of God, or had it been a delusion brought forth by witnessing a horror? Did Till not finish the prophecy? The man did not answer, his eyes going vague and his breath slowing. His manner reminded Flay of a hound, having run too long, suddenly finding itself prone and stupid in the shade. Flay remembered Roya Reth's cryptic remarks. Why feed you him so? Who has been feeding you, champion? I would know who has kept you so strong. The man's eyes flickered back to Flay's, but there was no sign of comprehension in them. In fact, his eyelids began to droop, and then they closed, and he slept. His power was still available to Flay, and the temptation to will-shift the man or attempt a mental probe was strong. But that was dangerous to do directly on a source tap. It could subject Flay to a deadly backlash. Reluctantly, he released the power entirely. Dundee, prepare your team to resume the quelling. His command was obeyed. Flay noticed the sink gym had grown hot. He passed it to Dunportulan and got to his feet. The effort had taxed him more than he'd expected. He found himself wobbly. I think I shall retire. Come to me after evening bells. We have much to discuss. 
Provide food and water to this man if you deem it safe to attempt. Yes, highest. Flay forced himself to walk with long strides and square shoulders, but when he finally got out of the arena and out of the view of the acolyte guarding the door, he had to lean on the wall and rest for a full five minutes before proceeding to the long climb to his quarters. But physical weariness aside, he was elated. He had done it. It had worked. Now he would call in some relics dispersed among the Donesmasters of the tower. It was clear to him now that he would be the champion of Till, and the madman, well, the madman would simply be a madman. <laughs>